This uh, week I read uh, a number of stories and watched some interviews with a, uh, a young woman named Amy Copeland. And in 2016, she was 24 years old, and she um, and some friends were going on a zip line across a river. And her second time on that zip line, the zip line broke, and she fell into the river. The problem is, though, is that she fell on some rocks in the river and tore open her leg. And she, uh, I think it was 22 staples or stitches, they had to put her leg back together, and she went home, and you think, okay, well, you recover from that. The problem is, is that she got some bacteria in the wound that was in the water, and it just happened to be that it breeded that flesh-eating bacteria. And if you know anything about that, it begins to destroy all of the tissues uh, around that infection and continues to move quickly. After being out of the hospital, after having the stitches for uh, a couple days there, um, she had to go back in because her body was shutting down. And to save her life, they had to amputate her, her leg at the hip, even though the injury had been in her calf, but that was to save her life. Her parents are there, and the doctor says, uh, not only are we doing that to try to save her life, but now her organs are failing. And they began to give her some medication which would, would cause the, the blood flow and everything to focus on the organs to keep them functioning. And uh, came to a point where she wakes up and her father's talking to her saying, hey, you can see your hands. Her hands had begin to turn black and begin to, in a sense, uh, just die. And they said, well, your hands have to be removed. And she said, well, let's do this. And they removed her hands. They also had to remove her right foot of her other leg that had remained And that was the doctor's plan, to amputate these parts of her body, to remove diseased tissue, and the purpose was to save her life. And here, a number of years later, um, she simply has said she's thankful for what the doctors did. Never saw in any of the reports, interviews, she thanked God, her parents did, but she was thankful that the doctors had a plan to save her life. And this morning we come to the book of Zephaniah, which repeats the same message that we see in every minor prophet and in every book of the Bible. And when you read it from Genesis to Revelation, and that is the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth, has had a plan of redemption to save his people from death. Therefore, the scriptural truth as we look at Zephaniah this morning is this. Great thanksgiving and praise should flow from the lips of God's people for his glorious plan of redemption. And I pray that that is what flows from your lips this morning, from your heart, is gratefulness and thanksgiving for God's plan of redemption to save you from sin and from death. If you turn to Zephaniah chapter 3, I will read verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The word of God. Again, Father, we pray and ask that you would receive all the praise and thanksgiving for your plan of redemption to save us from sin and from death. May you be glorified in the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I read through the book of Zephaniah, 
Some of you did that this week. Some of you will do that this week. Short three chapters. As I read it, it's the same message again, over and over, which we've seen for week in and week out as we've gone through the minor prophets, that God has had a plan before time to save his people. But also, as you read this, you read of the wrath of God. You read of God's discipline. You read of how God works. And with that can come confusion. Sometimes with that can come our own judgment against God. But I pray that this morning that rejoicing flows from your heart, through your lips, uh, because God is wonderful, He is good, and He has a plan to save his people from their sins. The first point is that God sets his love on his people. Now what I laid out this morning, as you look through Zephaniah and all of the minor prophets, when you look through the Bible, you have this, this circle, this, this, in a sense, this uh, uh, cycle of, of this redemption that God does. And so God sets his love on his people. His people rebel against him. He disciplines his people and they turn back to him because of that discipline and he showers his mercy on them. And this is what you see in the life of the nation of Israel and if you look closely in your life as a follower of Christ, he does that as well. If you look at Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 1, it says this, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah. Now, I'll remind you again, the prophets are not making up something because they're upset with the nation of Israel. They are speaking what God has told them to speak and herefore write down for us to read. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah. We have more about uh, Zephaniah than we have of other minor prophets that his name means Jehovah has treasured. This picture of God treasuring his people. And he prophesied during the reign of King Josiah over Judah. And if you read in the Old Testament of King Josiah, there was a short revival that broke out in that time in which King Josiah began to tear down the altars uh, to worship Baal. And he was bringing about these reforms that people would turn back to God. But that was a short-lived moment before God sent the Assyrians to wipe out the nation and to take them into captivity. Zephaniah, like the other minor prophets, has a wonderful uh, declaration of God's love and mercy, just as we read in verse 17, that God is mighty to save. But we also read in two full chapters, in part of chapter 3, about God's judgment and God's wrath. And I know this being Thanksgiving weekend and seeing some new faces, I know that there's always seems to be visitors, and some of you maybe have never heard of someone speak of God's wrath. Or maybe if you've had, you've heard people talk about hell and you don't like that. But to know this morning as we look at Zephaniah, as within God's word, that God is holy and he is just and he is a God that is love, but also because of sin, he pours out his wrath. He is a God of wrath. He is a God of judgment. He is a God of discipline. And none of those characteristics of God contradict one another. 
And so like with Zephaniah, we see that God has had a glorious plan to save his people from their sins. And Zephaniah is encouraging the people. He tells them to be patient, to be quiet, to wait because of God's covenant. And you think, well, what is this covenant? Well, you go back to Abraham, and God made a covenant with Abraham to make a people for him, the nation of Israel, that he would give them a land, and that there would be one that would come and bless all the nations, speaking of also God's people, the Gentiles, that he would bring in. So Zephaniah tells the people, the nation of Israel, in the midst of all the trouble that you see, do not give up hope. But hope in God because he is the covenant-keeping God. And we see that God has also promised, which maybe we don't like, to discipline his people so that he would restore his people to him. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, I think most weeks I tell us to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. But we must know this, that God's plan of redemption that we see in Zephaniah, that we see throughout the word of God, always begins with this. God is the one who sets his love on his people. Not once in scripture does it say that God's plan of redemption begins with us. It always begins with God setting his love upon his chosen people. And it says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. There's a key there. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of what? His will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The apostle Paul wrote that to the church in Ephesus and says you should praise the Lord because of his plan of redemption. And it always begins before he ever said let there be light. And it always begins with God setting his love upon his people. And you, I cannot find one place in the word of God where one day I just decide I'm going to set my love on God and, and follow him. It doesn't begin that way, and you cannot find it in Scripture. God always sets his love on his people first, or it wouldn't be love. And that is one of the reasons why we should praise the Lord with great thanksgiving this morning. I don't know what you did at Thanksgiving this week. Maybe you didn't do anything but sit around and watch football games. Maybe all you did was eat a meal. Maybe some of you praise the Lord with great gratefulness and thanksgiving because he set his love on on you first and he should be rightly praised for that turn to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers Deuteronomy in chapter 7 <coughs> in chapter 7 you see God calling out his chosen people and he says this to them in verse 6 through verse 9 for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. 
But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. If you're wondering what that is all about, God speaks to the nation of Israel who he saved from slavery in Egypt and reminds them the covenant he made with Abraham who comes out of a family who did not worship God but worshiped idols and says, I'm going to make a covenant promise with you to do this because I love you first and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will do these things pointing to the fact of his great plan of redemption in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so... God, before he ever said, let there be light, before God created this earth in seven literal days, before he put the stars in, in the heavens, when he, before he created the sun and the moon and made this earth and gave life to mankind and the animals, before he did that, he had a plan to, that was set before time to save his people from their sins. And it is through his son Jesus who we were just singing about, what child is this? And one of the things that we know, as we will look at this, is that God's people have constantly rebelled against him. And as we started our series on the book of Hosea, we saw that God um, called Hosea to go and to marry a prostitute and to have children with her, and she then cheated on him. She left. She went after other men, and he had to go back, as God said, and go and buy her back once again. And here's what he says in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. You see, God was using the prophet Hosea to show the people, the nation of Israel, this is my love for you, that even in your rebellion and your whoring after other idols, I will go after you. I will purchase you, pointing to redemption and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so if you, if you have read Zephaniah this week and you didn't see that, my encouragement is to go back and see God's plan of redemption that Zephaniah lays out in all of God's word and how God turns his people back to him who are in rebellion, who he's first loved and they've ran after other gods. And in love, God, like Hosea purchasing back his wife, God not only purchases people. He purchases people out of slavery, slavery to sin that you're born with, that's passed down from Adam. And God has purchased his people to set you free of that. And what he did to pay that price to purchase you was to send his son Jesus. And that his son Jesus, who loves his own, would give his life at the cross. And he would shed his blood to purchase his people back to him who have been in rebellion. And when you think of that, you must also think of what the prophets say about the wrath of God. 
The wrath of God is meant for you. The wrath of God is meant for me. But because of God's wonderful, glorious plan of redemption, Jesus Christ took your sin at the cross and bore the wrath of God the Father. He took the blow that was meant for you. He died in your place for your sins. And he rose again from death to life where he has ascended to heaven, ruling and reigning now. And he is returning And so, as Zephaniah says, there is a day coming. There is a day of trouble. Hosea says, Joel says, a terrible day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. The wrath of God is coming. But for all who God has set his love on, who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, will be spared from that wrath. Now, a question I have to ask, I think sometimes this is, are you tired of hearing that? And I pray it's no for everyone. But I've realized in the last 23 years, because I've been asked this twice at two different churches, Pastor, are you going to preach the gospel every week? And we chuckle about that, but that's a serious problem in the church. My question is, are you bored with the gospel account? Are you like, Pastor, I heard that you said this last week. Let's get on. Let's get on to something else. Let's get on to something more relevant. There is nothing more relevant than Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, risen again and returning, church. I pray that you never are bored with the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it constantly causes you to praise the Lord God Almighty because you cannot save yourself. Only Jesus can save you from destruction and death and wrath of God upon you in hell for eternity. And I think the reason why people ask that question or, I don't know, there's this uh, insensitivity or something that happens in the heart is that we forget so quickly. We even forget that we forget. We forget so quickly the blessings and the glorious truths of God's word. Therefore, Zephaniah is just another reminder. He's reminding us of God's great love for us. And that's what the word of God does over and over and over. So I pray that you never get tired of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because if you're saved, you're saved by that. And if you have anything to praise the Lord, you should praise the Lord for that. And the reason we need to be reminded is because we're born with a sin nature. We're born as rebellious enemies of God Almighty. And therefore, when he saves us, he sets us free from the penalty of death that he gives us eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. But while we walk on this earth, we still battle with sin. And so we still have this sinful desire that we're trying to fight off of being rebels against God. And so that is the second point is that in this plan of redemption, you must know that God's people constantly rebel against him. And you say, no, I don't. And I say, yes, you do. Because I say, no, I don't. And God reminds me, Paul, yes, you do. You rebel against me in your sins And so if you look at this second point, and we're going to look here at chapter 1 of Zephaniah, God's people. Here, speaking of the nation of Israel, 
is an example of us today in the sense that they repeatedly, throughout the history of the nation of Israel, abandoned worshiping the one true God. You see, idolatry was and is the downfall of all of God's people. That idolatry is rebellion against the living God. And idolatry, as the Word of God teaches us, leads to gross immorality. It leads to constantly seeking after sin to please ourselves and to worship uh, something other than God. And it happens because we depart from the Word of God. If you go back to Deuteronomy In chapter 28, there is a chapter about blessings and cursings in which God says he will bless his people and he also says that he will curse his people. And in this, in the middle of it, in verses 14 through 15, Deuteronomy 28, God says, And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. The book of Zephaniah, God is fulfilling what he said to them in Deuteronomy 28. God's people have constantly departed from his word. They have gone after other idols. And he is bringing his curses and his discipline upon the nation of Israel. Specifically, Zephaniah prophesying to the tribe of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. And he says, judgment is coming upon you. Look at chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. It says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. What is happening here is he says, I will judge you. And as we saw with the other prophets, and he says here, God is going to bring the the Assyrians upon his people, the nation of Israel, and here the tribe of Judah, and they will do a sweeping off of the people and taking them away into captivity because of these sins mentioned here in verse 4 and 5. Look at verse 4. The worship of Baal is going to be wiped out Baal was a Canaanite god in which the nation of Israel were warned, do not mix with the Canaanites. Wipe them out when you go into the promised land. Yet they did not fulfill that. And they began to worship the Canaanite god Baal. And he was the uh, the false god of rain, of thunder and lightning. And they would worship this god who supposedly brought rain upon the land. In verse 5 it says, He's going to wipe out worship of gods in the homes of the people. You see, God even declared the houses, their housetops, to be set for the worship of God. And here they are on the tops of their housetops, worshiping the stars, the moon, the sun. They're worshiping creation. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, it says, because they exchanged the truth of God 
for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We see this every day in our world. People who worship creation. They worship what has been created by God. They do not worship God Almighty. And so he says he's going to wipe them out because of this. But also in Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 5, it says there, uh, and those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. Milcom is another name used for Molech, is another name used for Malcolm or the Moabite god Shemash. These are the names of the God in which they had statues set and there was fire burning and the people would take their children and burn them in the fires or make them pass through the fires of Molech or Milcom or these other, na- these other names of this false God. And God said it was an abomination to do that and yet the nation of Israel were murdering their children worshiping false gods and God said for that I will wipe you off the face of the earth here and will bring my wrath upon you and so you might think oh man God was justified those people back then were horrible they killed their children yet we live in a world in which we kill children every day and yearly by the millions Instead of worshiping a God that looks like a cow with horns and burning fire, um, we murder children through what is called the idol of abortion. But that's just one of many abominations in our world today. And we've seen this in every one of the minor prophets. And my prayer has been the people of God would humble themselves and repent of their sins, and call out that God would do a revival of work among the people and save his people. And what it's rooted in today is the same thing for the nation of Israel, just like we read in Deuteronomy. Numbers of churches in this world have ceased to teach the word of God. Many churches or so-called churches gather, say they believe in God, yet never open their Bible. They worship other gods. And you say, well, no, how can other Christian churches do that? They worship themselves. They worship things of this world and raise them higher than the word of God. Instead of the preaching of the word of God or the teaching of the word of God, they give nice, culturally safe and sensitive woke messages, not about hell, not about destruction, not about death or wrath to come, only about God loves you. God loves you. Just know that God loves you. And the world says, so what if God loves me? I think sometimes that some churches are more dangerous than the most dangerous places in the cities of this world. We find a great departure even in this nation and worldwide. And we see it in denominations that were Christian denominations. And they've split and split and split. Lately over the last month, the Methodist denomination has been all over the news. Some of you have seen this. Hundreds of churches are leaving the Methodist denomination because the Methodist denomination are approving of not only homosexuality, but also that they would put in bishops and leaders and religious, these I'll say religious because it's not Christian. Uh, Leaders in their churches that are homosexuals, that are practicing homosexuals and married uh, to same sex. And people are like, you can't say that in church. 
The word of God says it, not Pastor Paul. Read through the word of God. It's not just an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament thing. And yes, the sin of homosexuality is the same as every one of you lying. It's the same. You've sinned against God grievously when you lie, just like the person who commits adultery who is a homosexual. It's the same grievous sin before the Lord God Almighty. And what we see is something that I pray that doesn't happen with our denomination. The Methodists started in 1972, starting with changing what the Word of God said about the issue of homosexuality. But years before that, they began to bend against God's Word in which it says that elders in the Bible are men and they began to place women in those positions within their churches. And so you wonder where they went wrong. Pray for our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance. This spring, it's being brought before the Council of Churches in this nation to ordain women as pastors, to follow the same pattern that the Methodists and many other denominations have done. Pray that God would put upon the hearts of the people what Scripture plainly says. This is not an, a, a women-men equality thing whatsoever, as the Women Libs movement would get you to believe. It is a place that God has set his word and set that before his people to be holy, to follow his word and be obedient. And we see when people depart from the word of God, he disciplines his people. And that's the third point, is God disciplines his people. And you think, well, that's harsh. No, he disciplines his people because he loves his people. Those of you who are parents, who have been parents, raising your children, you discipline them. Yes, you get angry at times. Some of you, like myself, had to repent. Lord, forgive me. Because I was angry with my child when I wanted to discipline them, or I did discipline them. But we're told to discipline our children because we love them. That is what God does to his people who he set his love on is when they rebel and they worship the idols of the world and they depart from his truths. He disciplines them in love. Amen. How many of you love discipline? Any hands? Okay. So the ones who raise hand, it's like, yes, when I discipline my child. No. No, we, we, we do want discipline. We just don't want it on us. Well, uh, yes, Lord, I, I do want you to discipline me, but I really don't want you to discipline me that much. Could you just give me a hand slap? I don't need the belt or the paddle. I don't need this. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 2, here's the discipline that God brings upon Judah, the tribe of Judah. It says in verse 2 of chapter 1, I will utterly sweep away everything, from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. And you're like, what is he doing? The, God is going to sweep the land of his people some are going to be murdered and die as Assyrians come in. And some are going to be taken away in captivity for a time. Yesterday, we were, uh, I was outside uh, and I was sweeping up some stuff from after cutting a tree down for a Christmas tree. And some of you were like, oh, he cut a tree down. I'm sorry, I cut a tree down. And I got a broom and I was sweeping up all this stuff from where we were cutting. And I was thinking of this verse. I'm like, God is, says that he's going to sweep his people. 
It's like a bulldozer scraping the land, the trees, and the rocks, and the buildings, and making it flat. That's the picture of the wording that he says to Judah, I'm going to sweep the land and wipe you off of it. And yet you go, wait, 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 let's go back. This is the people he loves. Yes. And he disciplines to turn people's hearts from rebellion back to him. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, a wonderful, glorious passage about God's discipline of his people. So if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you are a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, a saint, as Paul writes to the churches and calls them saints, this you must know and understand and praise the Lord for. Hebrews 12 verse 5, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one, what, does it say he hates? Are you sure? It says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Because, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our what? For our good, that we may share in his what? Holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God loves his people, and then when they rebel, he disciplines them. And it says if he doesn't discipline those whom he loves, we are illegitimate children. And if he doesn't discipline us, then he hates us. But he loves his children. And he disciplines us so that our rebellion would end and we would turn back to Christ. I mean, what if you went this week to your doctor and your doctor says, you have a very fast-moving cancer it is spreading like crazy and we have to do surgery and <clears throat> we have to cut out this tissue and I don't know how much I'm gonna have to cut out and I, I may have to amputate this limb or these limbs you may lose your eye you may lose this and you're like do it because I want to live does your doctor do the surgery and you wake up and you have limbs removed and you have, you have tissue that's removed and you've lost this and that because he hates you? No. Your doctor is doing it for your good to save you. He removes the cancerous tissue so that you would live. And like that, God, and sometimes extremely, does surgery on our hearts because he loves us. And you may not like it one bit. Because think for a moment how many of us so love and enjoy discipline. But know that God does it because of his great love for you. In chapter 1 of Zephaniah, he says this in verse 14 and 15. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. 
The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. And he goes on to say, I'm going to bring distress upon the people. And not only then, with the Assyrians coming as the day of the Lord in that sense with the nation of Israel, there is the great day of the Lord as we've seen every single minor prophet point us to. And so you must know today, if you have not been told, the great day of the Lord is near. The terrible, awesome day of the Lord, as Joel says, is coming. That is the return of Jesus Christ when he will return in all of his glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he will return and he will bring about his bring upon his judgment upon all the people who do not believe in him as Lord and Savior, all who rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, all those would be standing before him and he will judge them. And the book of Revelation tells us that they will be cast into hell for all eternity and they will have the wrath of God upon them forever. Therefore, what should our response be? We should humbly repent of our sins. And seek the Lord God Almighty. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Gather together. This is Zephaniah. Yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decrees take effect, before the days pa- day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. He says four times, before this happens, before this happens, before this happens, before this happens, he says, verse 3, seek the Lord. All you humble of the land who do his just commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may have been hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Our God is good. He is merciful. And he says, I'm telling you, wrath is coming. And I'm telling you to repent of your sins and to seek Don't run away from the wrath of God. Run to God, who's the God of mercy. Turn to chapter 3. The last point briefly here is this. God grants mercy to his people once again. And so again, if you look at the nation of Israel, God sets his love on his people And his people rebel against him. And they begin to worship other gods. And then what God does is he sends his discipline. And he punishes his people. And then the people of God return from the rebellion and worship him. And this mercy of God is poured out upon his people. This is this great glorious plan of redemption. And as you turn to Zephaniah chapter 3. Know this. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 37. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. That should be of great comfort to you. To return to the Lord from your rebelliousness that God will not cast you out. And it's because he's the one who turns your heart. The Holy Spirit works upon you and reveals your sinfulness before the Lord and he brings you back to him. And so we must know that as you read Zephaniah and the other prophets and the word of God that there is judgment, there is discipline, but know that on the other side of judgment and discipline is the unmeasurable, unfathomable mercy of God. 
Look at chapter 3, verse 14. Verse 14 through 20. Is this promise of God's restoration for the nation of Israel. Specifically as he writes to Judah. He says God's already promised this. So he's going to do this. There's going to be a point at which he brings you back into the land. He's going to do these things. And for the people of God today. His church. This is a reminder that God has promised to return. And to judge those uh, 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 who in their sins. And he's also to bring his people into his kingdom forever. And it says this in verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. You wonder why we sing on Sundays? You wonder why we, when the church gathers, we sing? The Word of God tells us to. We sing praises to the Lord God Almighty because the Word of God tells us to. It says, Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. I know this week you think about all the, the, the you may, some of you love soccer and the World Cup going on and you see these great celebrations when a team upsets someone or maybe this weekend with some of the football upsets, some of you were crying, but some of you were rejoicing, jumping up and down in front of your TV. I mean, think about how we rejoice over stuff in this world. That in comparison to worse to rejoice over God. I mean, some of you literally go crazy when the, the, the Grizz pulls out this huge win over, uh, you know, our big rivals that are over in Bozeman. You run around in circles. You high-five everyone. You're cheering aloud and you're so excited. But is that the joy of the Lord that you are excited to rejoice over God? I mean, we need to ask ourselves this sometimes. It's amazing. People who live in other countries who, uh, when they visit, they're amazed by our stadiums that are built to fill hundreds of thousands of people just so we can praise some people running around on a field. And it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your what? Your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear what? Evil. Verse 16, on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. And verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud what? Singing. Singing. It's wonderful, that passage. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, is in our midst. That God can and does save his people from danger and destruction and death because he's mighty. But his salvation comes only to his people. Those who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. Those who have humbled themselves and seek him. And it says that he rejoices. That God sings over his people. It doesn't say that God praises you and I. It doesn't say that God gives you or I any glory He's praising himself in that sense. He's giving glory to himself because he saved you from your sins. And so he rejoices when his people rejoice in him. He rejoices when he sees his people repent to their sins and praise him and give him glory. God sings and you think, wait, God sings? I've never heard of that before. But scriptures tell us that. 
that he sings with great exaltation, with great joy, because his people are rejoicing in him. And that's why we are to be so grateful and so thankful. This is why we need to be in the word of God daily, because we forget so easily how much he loves us. So that when we read the word of God, we would praise him. But just maybe, you don't feel like praising him. Just maybe, life is hard, and trouble is abounding, and there's grief in your life. Just maybe you think that God hates you. Maybe you think that God is against you. It is possible that the Lord is disciplining you because of your rebellion. Again, if the doctor came to you and said, you need to have the surgery, we've got to remove this to save your life. Probably most people would say, go ahead, let's do this. And know that God in love, will deal with you and discipline you even if it's extreme ways to bring you back to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we declare that you are holy and righteous. You are without sin you are almighty, you are powerful, and we declare that you are our only Savior. We praise you and give you thanks that you would love us first. We give you praise and thanksgiving that you have the plan to save us and redeem us. And therefore, we praise you. Father, as much as we do not want to be disciplined, we know that you discipline us because you love us. Father, let us see the ways that you are disciplining us and let us turn from our rebellion back to worshiping you. That you would turn um, our worshiping of other idols back to worshiping you alone. Father, I pray for any who are here that have heard of the coming day of wrath, that they would not run from it, but they would run to you. They would run to the cross of Jesus. We praise you and give you thanks. May the songs that we sing, even right now, that you are a mighty Savior, let our praises be true. Let our praises be rejoicing in you, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.